On today's episode of The Birth Experience with Labor Nurse Mama, we're going to talk about some common medical interventions during labor and birth. Now, these are not ones that everybody thinks of, but they are ones that are super important, can really affect the progression of your labor and your birth experience. So listen in as I share common medical interventions during labor and birth. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be here with you guys today. We are going to talk about the five most common birth interventions or medical interventions during birth that you may not think of as medical interventions. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. How are you guys? I hope you guys are excited. This is going to be just a quick little teaching topic, like we like to say around here. And I'm going to share with you some of the common interventions that really aggravate me as a labor and delivery nurse and as an online birth educator. So we're going to get started really quick. So the first thing I want you guys to think about is what is an intervention? So an intervention really is anything that we as medical providers do during your birth that intervenes, hence intervention. So anytime we interrupt or step into the natural process of your birth and stop the flow or mess up the flow or intervene and interrupt the flow. So we're going to talk about, and I've got notes because y'all know that I get off track. So we're not going to get off track. So we're going to cover some that you know are interventions and some you may not even realize is an intervention. So let's go ahead and get started. We're going to talk about the first one that we do to almost all mamas when you get to the hospital, and that is strap you down and confine you to the bed or confine your movement, right? Movement is the key to so many aspects of your birth and of your labor. I want you guys to think about if you were to stub your toe or jam your finger or something to that effect, some sort of pain, you would not be like, not moving, not going to move. You would do this. Oh my gosh. Oh goodness. And you would find a rhythm to your pain, right? You find this rhythm through movement to be able to bear the pain. So I want you to think about that when you think about labor and delivery, you need to find a rhythm in movement to be able to bear the pain. Labor is different. It's a different type of pain. And if you're coming to my fearless birth experience, which I hope you are, the very first class we talk about is the pain of labor. The pain of labor is not like any other pain out there. However, it is similar in the fact that you need to listen to your body you need to listen to your instincts and you need to work with your body to be able to achieve escape from the pain. That's our goal, right? Anytime we have pain, whether it's stubbing your toe, jamming your fingernail, burning your hand, whatever it is, we want to escape the pain. During labor, the escape is different because any other time you might take a pain pill or you might do something medically to intervene with that pain. But the pain of labor is not a bad pain. It's a good pain that's going to bring you the goal the gift, the baby. So movement is so important when it comes to achieving an escape from the pain of labor. So if you're in early labor, movement can provide distraction. Have you ever heard that saying, get up and move your seat, and that helps change your mindset? Same thing with labor. 
It helps your labor progress. There are some studies that show that gravity and movement is as strong as using Pitocin to establish labor contractions when you're in labor, right? So instead of jumping into someone's labor and giving them Pitocin to augment their labor, which augment the labor means to help it get going, instead of augmenting with Pitocin, let's try getting mama up and walking her. Let her do something normal. Let her like do what we all do to achieve escape from pain. Movement also allows you to listen to your body and find a position that works for you. So think about if you had back pain, right? Just normal old back pain. You're not going to let me tell you how to get rid of it. I may be able to give you some ideas on what to do, but you're really going to listen to your body because what works for you is different than what works for me. Also, there was a study done that shows that movement during labor can shave off about an hour and a half of your labor time. So why would we not move? Women who use movement during labor are less likely to need pain medication, including an epidural, less likely to go to the OR for a cesarean, and their babies are more likely to tolerate labor better because when you're moving, the baby has a little more freedom as well. And we know throughout pregnancy that laying down flat on our back can construct blood flow, right? So what if you are laying down You're also holding your breath during the pain of labor. Your baby is being constricted during the contractions. That's not good for baby either. So we really want to keep you moving. So here's my tips to my students and my members inside of my pregnancy membership. When you get to the hospital, don't stop moving. So many of you are like, as soon as I got to the hospital, they wanted to, and they wanted to do admission questions and get my IV started and listen to the baby. Guess what? It can be done next to the bed. I've had students who stood up next to the bed during their labor admission. I've had students who sat on the ball. I've had students who were on their hands and knees. Now, will your nurse have to get creative and bust out of her normal routine? Yes, she will. But that is okay. Your nurse can absolutely bust out of her routine. And for my labor nurses listening, you can do it, girl. You've got this. I know it. I had this question, why do they do that if it's not helpful? Because it's routine and it's what we've always done. We all get in a pattern of doing what's easy for us at work and for the birth professionals and for the team. It is easier for us if you're laying in bed because We can keep you on the monitor and we can trace the baby and it's just a little more controlled. But what I tell my students all the time and what I'm going to tell you is that it's not about them. It's not about me as your labor nurse. It's not about your provider. It's about you. What is best for you and your baby? So if movement is best for you and your baby in most cases, now there are exceptions to everything that I'm going to tell you. There are times where you need to be in the bed. So let's say if you're preeclamptic and you're on magnesium and we're trying to keep you from having a seizure or more problems or your blood pressure rising, then yes, you need to be in bed. But we're talking about a mama who is low risk, who has nothing crazy going on, right? So you need to keep moving. Tip number one, keep moving. Movement also decreases the chances of that cascade of medical interventions, the cascade of interventions we all want to avoid. So movement is one of the most powerful things that you can do during your birth experience. Get up 
and move. Now, one of the things I recommend is stay at home as long as possible and keep moving at home too. Now, you're going to want to balance what I'm telling you, this movement during labor with rest. So make sure you're also listening to your body. If it needs a short break, give it a short break. One of my favorite movements that you can do, and I'm just going to give this to you, is getting on the toilet. So I recommend to my students and my members in my membership to sit on the toilet three to five contractions per hour. And girl, when you sit on the toilet, your pelvic floor naturally relaxes. So those contractions might feel more intense. So keep that in mind. Okay, so I want to read this quote to you. This is a quote from a study that says, freedom of movement is important in making the birth of your baby easier. It's the best way for you to use gravity to help your baby come down and to increase the size, so open up the size and shape of your pelvis. It allows you to respond to your pain actively and it may speed up the labor progress. So there you have it. All right, the next thing we're going to talk about that you may not feel is a medical intervention, but it is the restriction of food during labor. So I want you guys right now to drop in the chat room an emoji of how you feel about not being allowed to eat during this incredibly trying and physically exertion or physically exerting time. Why can't we eat during labor? It makes no sense. So that's number two, restriction of food during labor. So we're going to talk about that. I don't even want to get started because it really aggravates me. It's so maddening that you're not allowed to eat during labor. It really aggravates me. In some states, however, this is changing. So I have worked on the West Coast, specifically in Seattle, and in Seattle, it's not the norm to restrict your food during labor. But in the South, very normal. I just saw someone said, I had 42 hours of labor and only had broth. What in the world? And I'm loving all of these emojis. Yes, it's maddening. It's frustrating. Because here's the thing. If you are being induced, this is more of an issue for you if you're being induced because you're going to be in, in the hospital during all those early stages of early labor and pre-labor that at home you're not going to be focused on and you're just going to be doing the normal thing, including eating. So for my induction mamas, this is really important. For my mamas who wait for spontaneous labor, when you go into labor spontaneously, you naturally taper off what you're eating. So you eat what you need until there's a point where you're like, I am not interested in eating. So one of the reasons that they restrict food is because of a potential cesarean in case you need anesthesia. Now, in my mind, I am not happy with that because that is so antiquated. The anesthesia that we use now is not like what we used to use. So this is not as much of a concern. And I can tell you that if you come into the hospital in an emergent situation where you need a C-section right then and there, we're not going to worry about your last meal. We're going to worry about you and baby. And so when you're in labor, specifically being induced, I want you to eat. And I want you to think about this. So there have been studies that have been done that show that being in labor is the same taxing amount of energy that a marathon runner uses. So if labor is comparison to a marathon, 
then what do athletes do before they actually do the marathon or during? They help with their body's energy needs, right? Your uterus is a muscle. Muscles need food. Food is energy. Food is fuel. So this is really important, especially in early labor. And keep in mind, when you're being induced, you're going to have to make these decisions and possibly even sneak some food. I tell my patients, listen, what happens in your labor room when I'm not in here, I don't know about. So as long as you're being safe, eating is fine, okay? Now, there might be a chance as you get into more active labor that you might throw up what you eat, which is fine. Labor nurses love when you throw up because that means you're pushing that baby down naturally. But your body needs energy to be able to perform. It has to convert that food, the fuel, into energy. So Again, remember, you need the same things that a marathon runner needs. So I'm going to give, I've got a little list for you, some foods that we recommend to our students and to our members are things like honey sticks, tortillas, or like wheat wraps that you can put a nice protein rich or really energy rich spread onto and you can roll it up and just nibble on it. You can have dried fruit or fruit, bananas, plantains. You can have oral carbohydrate replacing drinks. You can have low fat cheeses. Just think of things that won't make your stomach feel sick. Low fat yogurts, just something that's gonna give you a lot of energy and it's packed with fuel. So remember that we want you to absolutely refuel your body. So that's number two. So number one intervention that's super common is restricting your movement. Number two is not allowing you to eat and drink during labor. The third one we're going to talk about is Pitocin. You knew I was going to talk about Pitocin. So Pitocin during labor, we're going to talk about two aspects of Pitocin. There's Pitocin induction and Pitocin augmentation. So right now I'm going to talk about augmentation because if you're being induced, you're going to probably need Pitocin. But there is a likelihood and a tendency on the medical provider side to give you Pitocin even if you're in labor. Maybe you're not progressing as fast as they would like or you're not following the rules or the guideline. I'm here to say that you're an individual and we all labor differently. My students and my members know that my labor pattern is wackadoodle. I am at three delivered and in postpartum. I don't go from one to two to three to four. I go from one to three to four to complete and delivered. And it's just the process I have. And if my midwife were not patient with my body and how my body works, then she might be apt to augment with Pitocin. So give me Pitocin to get things going. But I'm also a big mouth and I like to speak up and get what I want. And we talk about Pitocin you don't always have to have it. And if you're already in labor, regardless of how fast your labor is progressing, now, if you're like, I really want to speed up my labor some, and that's your choice, that's different. But out of convenience for someone else, I don't want it. And you shouldn't want it. So inside of our body, we have so many receptors that can take the oxytocin or the pitocin. So if we fill them up and we get them overstimulated, which can happen with adding in pitocin, they start to shut down. And then your labor and your contractions decrease in strength and they become like more abnormal, not as rhythmic and not as regular. You have to have rhythmic, regular contractions to get to delivery. So if we overwhelm those receptors and we fill them all up, 
and then they start shutting down, we're really causing our labor to not progress. So that's less likely to happen during spontaneous labor because your body does it so well that it naturally releases the Pitocin in these pulses and it fills up those receptors beautifully. And then that oxytocin that your body releases is quickly broken down by enzymes so that there's very little left in between your contractions. So the way our body does it is just beautiful and perfect. So why mess with that if it's already working? So if you guys have ever watched Ricky Lake's century called The Business of Being Born, if you haven't, do it. I love it. I am a huge fangirl of Ricky Lake's birth documentaries because it shows this scene where the doctors come into the unit, and this happens all the time. All of my labor nurses can shout out right now. They come in, and they're like, is she on pit? Is she getting pitted? Why is the pit so low? Go up on the pit. Give her pit. Give her pit. Give her Pitocin. Go get the Pitocin. Start the Pitocin. Why is the Pitocin not started? It is so maddening. So I want you guys to remember you have a right to say, if my labor is progressing, it may not be going as fast as you want it, but I don't want Pitocin. So you have a right to refuse that. We're going to talk about refusing interventions in a moment. So the next one I want to talk about is amniotomy, which is breaking your water. And this is one that is done so commonly. And this is one that I really encourage my students inside of my birth classes and my mamas inside of my pregnancy and postpartum membership to say, no to. And here's why. So here's what your amniotic sac does. Your amniotic sac and your amniotic fluid protects your baby. It provides a barrier from the outside to the inside. And inside of this barrier is your sweet little baby, right? Once the barrier is broken, we can set you up for infection. Vagina is not the cleanest of areas, right? We've got things going on. So infection can take a place within 24 to 48 hours. So once we break your water, that risk of infection is going up. And then we're going to talk about another intervention in a minute that's not absolutely necessary that can also up your risk of infection if your water's broken. So the amniotic sac also cushions the baby. And as you move around, it allows the baby to be cushioned during that movement and during the contractions. So this is done so commonly, and they do it to either get labor started or to get labor to go faster. So what I recommend to you is that there are some cases where it's okay, but what I teach my girls is that you say no until you're in active labor, even if you're being induced or already in labor, unless you're in active labor, which ACOG states is six centimeters or more, or if you're having regular contractions that are regularly changing your cervix and you're around five to six centimeters, then it's all right. Not absolutely necessary because remember, it cushions the baby. So when your water is intact, your baby is less likely to have fetal decelerations. You're less likely to develop an infection. If you develop an infection because of your water being broken, the baby can have fetal heart problems, namely tachycardia, because fever causes the baby to have tachycardia. It increases the time clock in your race against these problems. So if your water is broken and you're not even in labor yet, you're in early labor, the likelihood, especially for my first-time mamas, is that you're still going to be in labor in 24 hours. Your time clock is ticking. So say no. Do not do it. Allow your body to do it. Most women, not all. Most women, your water will break when you're in around six to nine centimeters or in transition. 
Okay, so I said we're going to talk about five, but I'm jumping in a four, a five and a six. So the next one we're going to talk about also plays into the breaking of your water, and that is cervical exams. So cervical exams in many areas are done every two hours. So routinely, every two hours, we check your cervix. Why? Why would we do that? Most of the time, so we know what's going on, so we can be prepared and have our shit together. That's not really convenient for you. That's convenient for us. So I tell my girls, say no to routine cervical exams. However, if you're being induced, you will have to have more routine cervical exams than a mama who comes in in labor because we have to, in some cases, titrate your medication. We have to know what to do next. So part of being induced is agreeing to more cervical exams. But if you go in in labor, or even if you're being induced, and once your labor pattern gets established, you're in active labor, you can say no to cervical exams. You do not have to have them. I promise you, whether we check your cervix or not, your baby will come out at some point. So there are times where I agree it's necessary. One, when you get to the hospital, if you think you're in labor, we need to check your cervix because your cervical change is the only definitive sign that labor really is happening. So we might do one when you get there and maybe two hours later to confirm that you're in labor. However, we don't need to do them every two hours to know what dilation you are. If you're laboring, you're moving, you're doing your thing, then we can keep our hands out of your vagina. I promise. And yeah, they aren't comfortable. They can be painful. And there are tips that I can give you for that as well. So if you're one of my students or one of my members, ask in the community. Otherwise, we've got some information here on how to make them a little more bearable and less painful. So as far as cervical exams, if you're being induced, you're gonna, you are agreeing to more. We have to know what to do next. But with spontaneous labor, you really need one on a mission. And then there's really no absolute from there on out unless there's an issue that arises or something's going on. Because we can also look at you and tell, like especially with unmedicated moms, if baby's coming soon. So there are things we can do besides cervical exam, but there may be another couple that are necessary during your labor. If you get an epidural, then you may not mind that we check your cervix and we need to know, is it time to push? So you might need one then as well. Okay, so the other one I wanted to talk about was continuous fetal monitoring. So can, oh, let me back up a little. With the cervical exams, they also, if your water is broken, they also increase the risk of infection. So if we don't break our water and we limit the cervical exams, then we're decreasing chances of infection. So that's a win. Okay, so continuous fetal monitoring. Why am I stumbling on that? I don't know. But having fetal monitoring during labor and delivery is more of a hospital thing. So if you're having a home birth, your home birth midwife or your provider is going to use less intervening with fetal monitoring. At a birth center, same thing. They're not going to listen as much, right? Unless there's an indication that we need to. In the hospital, the norm is being on the monitor continuously. So there are times and reasons for my high-risk moms or something abnormal going on or we've seen that the baby's not tolerating labor that you might need to be on the monitor more continuously. However, if you are low risk, you're walking around the room. Remember I said walking and movement is a chance of fetal intolerance of labor and fetal deceleration. So you're up and you're moving. Then there really is no reason that they can't do intermittent monitoring 
Or you can also opt for wireless continuous monitoring, which is a little less cumbersome and it doesn't strap you to the bed. Now, if you are a higher risk mom or you do absolutely need to be on the fetal monitors continuously, you can be on the monitors in bed on your hands and knees, squatting next to the bed, standing by the bed, walking around the monitors. You don't necessarily have to be still in bed unless there's an indication or reason medically proven that you need to be still in the bed like we talked about before. So continuous fetal monitoring is the last common one I wanted to talk to you about because most of you guys will probably think you don't have choices with these things like eating, like fetal monitoring, like being laying in the bed or breaking your water, but you absolutely have choices when it comes to the ways in which we interrupt the natural process of your birth. Remember, anything I do is intervening, right? There are times that interventions are absolutely 100% necessary. And that is why it's so important to be educated, to understand the choices, to understand how your body works, to understand what you can and should refuse, when it's appropriate, when it's not. The medical interventions are there for reasons. We have them for reasons. And thank God we have them because they're life-saving for mamas and babies. But should they be used routinely without any individual um decisions made based on this mom and this baby and what's going on? No, they should not be just used because we do them and it makes it easier for us. They should be used when they're needed as an intervention, not as a routine thing that we do for everyone. So that's the main thing I want you guys to hear. The other thing I want you to hear is I don't want any of you guys going into your delivery just refusing willy-nilly because you can, because that is also dangerous. Accepting everything just because you think you should and refusing because you can without any education, without any um, dialogue or understanding the reasons and the whys is just as dangerous. So we want you to never refuse because you can. We want you to refuse because you understand what's being offered to you and make an informed decision as to what's best for you you. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope this was beneficial. Maybe listen to it again, take some notes. And if you have any questions, as always, shoot us a DM here on Instagram or on TikTok, or send us an email at info at labornursemama.com. We also would love to invite you to our next fearless birth experience, which is five days of free birth workshops. We have a pop-up Facebook group that's only for this experience. We open one up every other month for the Fearless Birth Experience. And we have an amazing time. You have access to me, my doulas, my baby care specialist, my whole team. You have access to my students and my members in the membership. And we will be there supporting you, helping you navigate this, and just giving you this sense of community. There's absolutely no mom shaming, no, no judgment. We want to lay out the decisions for you so that you can choose which one's best for you. Day one, we're teaching all about the pain of labor. I love that class. It is my 
favorite class because I love being able to help you flip your mindset and embrace the pain of labor. Day two, we're talking about pain management, the different types of pain managements we offer in the hospital, the different types of unmedicated pain management options that you have, and whether or not you should get an epidural because some mamas, it's best for them. Some mamas, it's not, but it's your choice. Day three, we're going to talk about communicating with your providers. So if you want to refuse some of the interventions, you want to get your birth and the way you want it, then come on day three because I'm going to teach you how to communicate effectively and how to ask very good questions and get the right answers and how to look up facts and stats and communicate with your provider. On day four, we're going to talk about pain coping techniques and I'm going to teach you my favorite pain coping techniques ever. We're going to teach you like three or four of the many that we teach our students. And then on day five, I'm going to teach y'all how to push like a boss. I'm going to teach you how to prevent tearing, how to open up your pelvis in the best positions that I like to do with first-time moms and second-time moms or more. All right, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this. Have a fantastic day, and I will see you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode where I broke down some of the most common interventions that I see as a labor and delivery nurse and hear from my students. And these are ones that aren't necessarily needed, but they're done routinely. And if you know anything about me, I don't like things that are done routinely unless they're done because you personally, individually need it. So I hope you enjoyed it. Hit subscribe. Leave us a review. Tell us what you want us to talk about because we love hearing from you guys. It means so much. As always, see you again next Friday. Bye for now.